Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata with you, and we finally have one of our friends of the podcast back on. It is Jacob Turner. After a long time of not being on the podcast, he is back with us. And, uh, you know, we haven't heard from you since uh, before COVID. So, how's everything been going for you, man? And uh, everybody in your family been staying safe during this time? Yeah, Anthony, it's good to be back on, man. I appreciate you having me back on the podcast. I know it's it's been a while. I've been I've been you know thankful that haven't had haven't been affected by it. Actually, I only really know one person that's had it, and that's just a friend that lives around uh, 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 Eastern North Carolina. So I've been pretty blessed in that respect. But yeah, man, it's been a it's been a whirlwind for everybody. A lot of uncertainty, and I'm glad we're finally able to get back on here and, and talk some football. With since we've got a little schedule out now and we've got a little start time for practice. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, there's definitely a lot of, uh, you know, momentum moving towards a season. You know, of course, everything that we're seeing, uh, you know, around the country, uh, Major League Baseball, you know, has had some bumps in the road, but it looks like uh, they're going to try to keep pushing forward. Um, Unfortunately for you, you revealed last night, of course, that you're not really a big uh, NHL fan. Uh, Why is that? I'm not really understanding this because me, as as a New York Ranger fan, just can't really figure that out. I mean, now, for me, I'm not really a big fan of what my team did, of course, out in the bubble, but why are you not an NHL fan? We need to figure this out and determine if you're going to be allowed on the podcast once again going forward. (laughs) <laughs> Good question, Anthony. I mean, well, let me let me say this. I, I've been to I've been to some Canes game in person. I, I like watching the PNC. I've always uh, I got no problem with the sport in person. But for me, the, the TV is it's just. I was tweeting about this last night, and I got a little bit of backlash too, which I, I I do. I saw it coming. That's one of the reasons I did it. I wanted to you know stir up a little controversy, stir up a pot a little bit. But it's just it, they're too drawn out for me. I, I I tweeted this exact thing last night, but I'm a big soccer fan. Soccer games are 90 minutes and they ended about the two hour mark on TV but you know every hockey game I watch on TV it's, it's 60 minutes of playing time and they you know they take three hours to finish so and I also tweeted that you know I, I understand that football games are a little bit drawn out too but you know, I'm a big football fan so obviously I'm not going to hate on that but you know I, you can call me a hater if you like but I, I, I can take that but just never just never been a, haven't really been able to get into it man now playoff hockey I can get behind a little bit but just too drawn out for me, man. Too many stoppages, too many timeouts, too many, you know, yeah, like two half times in hockey. I think I figured that out last yeah. night, too. But, yeah, man, you know, nothing personal, Anthony. I hope you'll let me back on the podcast and don't hold it against me too much. <laughs> we'll consider it. We'll have to check with our booking people to make sure that we're still allowing you back on. But, I apologize. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> it's all good, man. But, hey, you know, when you look towards college football – 
I think it's just you know it's a different conversation than you know the sports of uh, you know that we've seen so far come back and have so much success like the NBA and the NHL because you can't put these guys in a bubble because there's so many teams there's so many guys that you're going to have to have if you put them in a bubble. You know when you look it, it looks like everything that the ACC is showing us for sure and really you know most of the conferences around the country that they're going to try to get this done in the fall as we sit here on August 5th do you think that we actually have a chance of seeing this season played in the fall or do you ultimately think that they're going to have to push this to the spring I think we're going to see it in the fall um and that's just you know I've got really no reason necessarily to believe that or anybody in my ear telling me that Young Carolina is definitely or college football is definitely going to go on in the fall um I would hate to see it pushed back to the spring I just think that would be weird and in my head I don't really know um, from just a medical standpoint what really is going to change in that time period I mean to my understanding you know, a vaccine is still pretty oh, a ways away so pushing it back to the spring what's really going to change is that really going to make it safer to play I, I'm not really sure and then you you also have to consider the financial part of it because I mean Anthony I know you, you're a big sports fan you've probably seen it across the college landscape over the past few months you know You've seen so many of these programs at these mid-major, even pretty high-level schools get cut be- just because of spring sports not going on yep. um, this past spring. And But if you think about it, what, what real revenue were they missing? If you think about the sports that, that didn't play, I mean, the biggest revenue sports that were kind of missed were, you know, baseball is probably the biggest one. And even that's not racking in a ton of money. Obviously, mm-hmm. basketball got cut short, so that hurt a lot of schools as well. But I, I, don't, I just don't think from a financial standpoint – that, it, that these programs and these schools across the country can afford not to play college football because of how much money it brings in. So, unfortunately, and I know you know money makes the world go round, as the saying goes, and that's kind of an unfortunate part about this because um, is it necessarily the safest thing to do to, to start a college football season here over the next month? I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't really know the answer to that. If I had to guess, I'd say probably not. But financially, I just don't think that you know, any any pretty much any school across the country, maybe besides a few big schools like Carolina, could afford to not have a football season for for a year. So, yeah, I think I think they're going to play. I think it'll be a fall thing. Um, I'm glad. I think with that schedule coming out, most of the conference is kind of deciding on a schedule. I think that's a big step in the right direction. And you know, Carolina's obviously start practice this week as well. So, unless something drastic happens over this next month, where you see a lot of programs coming down with with um, a lot of COVID nineteen positive tests and they're having to stop things, unless we see a big uptick in that, and and you know, a big widespread um, of the of the uh, of the disease again, I think we'll see. I think we'll see a football season coming up, and, and I, I'm sure you'll agree with me. I hope we see one because. Uh, we've already missed a lot of sports, and I, I can't even imagine having not being able to watch college football. That that would really suck. That would be kind of that cherry on top of the cake, as they say. Yeah, uh, I, I you know I, I agree with you. I think uh, you know when you look at it from the financial standpoint, it's it's got to happen at some point because you're just going to lose so many sports on some of these campuses. And I think that's the biggest thing is that you know everybody kind of talks about well you know the group of five schools would be the ones that would be the most affected by it. I, I think people just are really blind to the fact that we've already seen a school like Stanford lose yeah. multiple sports, and that's a Power Five program. That's a program that, meaning, you know, from what we know, just from being, you know, here on the East Coast, we don't really know the ins and outs of Stanford. Stanford's looked at as kind of like Duke of the West Coast. They make a ton of money just based on how much they bring in from their, you know, student revenue and everything like that. So for them to say, look, we have to cut these sports already before we even have a chance to play a football season, I think that's what should be scary to people. And that's why, you know, if if guys are willing to play, that's the biggest thing is if if there are guys that are willing to go out and say, yeah, we're, we're willing to play and you've got enough guys that are willing to, you know, try to, you know, play through this, at least give it a chance early on and see how things go then it makes sense. But I understand, you know, there are going to be guys that are going to potentially opt out of the season. I mean, Carolina, you know, so far we haven't had anybody opt out. But, I mean, there's a chance that you will see guys. I mean, for me, like, when, when, I'm, when I think about guys that could potentially opt out, and, again, there's nothing behind this. This is just knowing, you know, what's, you know, he, he has, you know, in terms of, you know, prior, you know, ailments and stuff 
stuff like that. Bo Corrales is a guy to keep an eye on. Remember, he's diabetic, and they've said that that's one of the big, you know, that that's one of the ones that, you know, is, is high risk, one of the groups that's high risk. So, you know, that's the thing is that I, I'm, you know, there are going to be guys that will probably end up sitting out. You know, for Carolina, I think it's a little bit different because, you know, you're seeing guys like Rashad Bateman at, at, at Minnesota sitting out because he's a guy that's already considered a first-round pick. Makes a lot of sense. The only guy that we really look at on our roster this year and say, okay, first-round pick is probably Chaz Surratt. So I think Carolina's still got a chance to have a lot of guys in place. Now, one of the things that helps them is that so far, you know, we've heard from Mac Brown. This is, you know, a, a, a... a campus at least for for the time being that we've seen and just because you know I, I think Mac Brown's been one of the more active coaches around college football in terms of getting with the media and talking with them this is you know they've done a really good job of getting you know a lot of the protocols in place and everything like that you know when it comes to this upcoming season if they do end up playing in the fall how different do you think it's going to be from everything that you've heard from Mac Brown in terms of what he they they're going to do around the program with the protocols and everything like that I think it's going to be completely different when we saw a release from Bubba Cunningham I want to say it was last week or the week before that kind of outlined what they were doing in terms of tickets not having season tickets this year you know, having a limited amount of fans in the stadium this year ultimately allowed to do that so I mean first and foremost the game's not going to look the same I mean one of Big Carolina's biggest advantages last season was the fact that they sold out every home game and that was huge I mean something Carolina had did in a while I and mean, it's super unfortunate for, for the program just because of all the hype that's around it and all the kind of positive energy that's around it right now that they're not really going to be able to fill Keenan Stadium this season I mean that's just really unfortunate for them and unfortunate for where the direction that this program is, is headed in now it's hopefully just a blip in the road and you know hopefully when fans are allowed to get back in the stadium you'll see sold out crowds again but I think that's going to be the biggest thing um, besides that I mean I think Mac Brown's done a really good job with his staff of playing it safe, of doing the right things, of following the rules. I mean, Mac said a few weeks ago that you know Carolina only had a handful of guys that tested positive for the for the for COVID, and and I know we last time not the last time we talked to him, but we talked to him a couple weeks ago. He said that all those guys that had tested positive um, didn't really have bad symptoms. It was pretty mild, so that was a really positive for Carolina and the program because, I mean, that's something you can't control when guys are spread out across the country in isolation and they have to come back to Chapel Hill. I mean, you can't control what those, who those guys have been around and what they've been exposed to. So I think that was a big positive for the Heels, the fact that they didn't have a lot of sickness and, and didn't have a lot of guys affected by it. But I think the biggest thing with, with the Heels right now is I think, Mac, like I said, Mike Brown, his staff, are doing all the right things, taking all the necessary protocols to, to keep everybody safe. Um, and, I, you know, you, you can't control an outbreak if something is to happen and, you know, a handful of guys are to get exposed in it. You know, you have to see how things go from there and how the program handles that. But with the bubble they've kind of put around the program and the guys right now with the safety measures they're taking and mm-hmm. you know, breaking things up and you know, having these sticks that keep coaches six feet away from the players, which I thought was interesting that Max showed us. Um, it's. I think it's a positive. I, I think the way Carolina is, has handled it so far is, has been top notch. And I think if they continue in the trajectory they're going with, with kind of the protocols they're taking and the safety measures they're taking, I think they'll be fine and, and be able to you know keep everybody safe and healthy. It's it's it's, it's when you start playing games again, which we'll talk about the schedule here in a little bit. Right. It is when it gets sketchy because you can't control everything and the, and the opponents you're playing. So I think like like you said, I think Carolina's done all the right things. I, I think the main thing. Is, it's just the biggest difference is not having fans and you know the little face shields they're gonna have to wear in their helmets. I think that those are the two kind of biggest things you're gonna see. And you know it's unfortunate that we're not gonna have fan, a lot of fans in the stadium, but you know, it's just the, the kind of the reality we're living in, unfortunately, right now. Yeah, I mean, even if you can have some fans in the stadium, I think that would be a win this year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Totally agree with you when it comes to, you know, Carolina potentially having a huge advantage this year at home if they would have been able to have a full stadium because, yeah, as we saw last year, the environments for a 7-6 and six team were phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. 
You would think that it would only go up from there. You would think that, you know, looking at their schedule, I mean, granted that, you know, there were some things that probably, you know, had to happen in the Coastal, but you would think there probably would have been a couple more night games in there, a couple more nationally televised games in there. But, you know, it is what it is. I think Carolina is going to adjust. Now, the thing is, is that they have to adjust quickly because, you know, they get into fall camp here starting tomorrow on uh, Thursday, August 6th, and they're preparing for a two. 2020 schedule that right now they don't know who they're going to start with. Um, they don't know when the season is going to start yet because, of course, the ACC realigned everything. So, yeah, it's just it's an absolute mess. But at the same time, you know, when you look at the schedule, it was interesting because you add Notre Dame, you add Florida State. But in all honesty, I think this schedule still lends pretty well for Carolina being a, a pretty good football team here in 2020. And I think, you know, actually, you know, you, you of course had the road trip where you had to go down to Central Florida. You had the neutral site game against Auburn. Now Notre Dame is at home. Florida State, I think, is probably a step below Auburn. Um, but, you know, you do have to go on the road there but remember the last time you went there you did win so um, I think you know ultimately this sets up for Carolina to potentially have a lot of success is that how you felt looking at the schedule as well absolutely Anthony I think this, this schedule actually went down Carolina's in a lot of ways um, you, you think about those two games you mentioned he was supposed to start off the season at Central Florida and then play Auburn and the Georgia Dome um, those were two for me at least big toss-up games for Carolina. Mm-hmm. These are big games that if Carolina was to start 0-2 in those games, I don't think anybody could really define their season or blame them for it. Going down to UCF, a program that has really become a very consistent uh, winning program over the past few years, to have to go down there on opening on your opening game is there's just a lot of uncertainty. You don't know how, who's gonna, how things are going to shape up. you got to work out the Kings' first game of the year and having to go into a tough road environment like that against a pretty good team that is returning some key players I think that would have been a really tough game for Carolina and then you know if Carolina was to go and had gone down there and lost that game or even won that game they still have to go and play Auburn and the Georgia Dome which I was down for the Carolina game when they played Georgia a few seasons ago and Mr. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bisky started in that game and that was the, that was in the old Georgia Dome but that was the loudest environment I've ever been in in my life I mean just when you're playing these SEC teams in the South, in Atlanta, these are almost glorified home games for them. I mean, that Georgia game was 75 80% Georgia fans. And it was, like I said, it was the loudest game I've really ever been to in my, in my life. So I think losing those two games is probably a win for Carolina in a lot of ways. Now, I think Mac probably doesn't see it like that. I think he would have wanted his team to get tested in those environments and see how they are because – um, you know, with, with the guys that Carolina's returning, especially on offense and even on defense, I think this Carolina team has a lot of potential to be really good. But now with how the schedule is shaking out, I mean, you mentioned you got Notre Dame, tough game, and that's at home. I mean, last time Carolina played Notre Dame at home, I think it was a win for them. And then you look away, you got, you got Florida State. I mean, that's really Carolina's toughest moment. You could argue Miami, but how good is Miami going to be this year? They've been up and down a lot. You look at the other away games, it's Boston College, Duke, and Virginia. I mean, that's not really a hard schedule in a lot of ways. And then you look at the home games that Carolina's playing, State, Syracuse, UT, and Wake Forest. I mean, arguably Carolina's hardest ACC opponent, at least in the Coastal Division, would would have been Virginia Tech, and Carolina's playing them at home. So I I think the schedule really worked out well for them, and I think if you're a Carolina fan or if you're a part of that program right now, either a player or a coach, you got to be pretty happy with how things shake without being stuck out because, I mean, like you mentioned, Anthony, the toughest road games, Florida State, the toughest home games, Notre Dame. I mean, I think I think playing Notre Dame at home is a little bit easier than having to play uh, Auburn in the Georgia Dome. I mean, and right. I'm sure that's up for debate because obviously Notre Dame's going to be a good, good team this year and always are going to, you know, be a, be a tough game regardless of where you're playing at, regardless of how good you are. But, yeah, like you said, Anthony, I, I think – I think the schedule worked out well for him, and, and I, I think if you're a Carolina fan, you got to be pretty pleased with with how things worked out. Because I mean, I was looking at Virginia's schedule a couple of days ago, and just out of curiosity, I've got some friends in the family that are, that are big UVA fans because I'm, I'm from that area and was born up there. But mm-hmm. I mean, but UVA had some. Yeah, they were playing Miami on the road, Florida State on the road, Virginia Tech on the road, and it was just it could have worked out a lot worse for the Eagles. And I think when you look at their away games in particular, you got to be pretty happy with how that away game schedule shook out because. I mean, I don't think anybody on the Carolina roster is going to fear Boston College, Duke, Virginia, or even Miami. I think Florida State's the only game that 
nervous about with how their season went last year and you know all the newness and uncertainty around their program right now I don't think Florida State's is 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 scary as going down to like a UCF and having to play them on opening night so yeah I think Carolina's schedule right now is pretty safe for them yeah I mean it's going to be different because you know of course playing at home you know the games are maybe not going to be exactly the same because you won't have the environment to help you but when you look at you know road games as well you're not going to have to face a Miami crowd that always can factor in as well Um, you know Florida State not having to face you know the in Doe Campbell Stadium face a full crowd there. That could definitely help you. Um, I think, you know, one of the key things is is that, like you mentioned, Carolina avoids Clemson. They avoid Louisville. They avoid Pittsburgh. And again, like Pittsburgh, I mean, people will probably say, well, why is that big? I think that's more of if they had realigned the schedule and Carolina had to play them early in the year, like let's say first or second game of the year, that would have been a tough matchup, especially for the offensive line where you're having to replace Charlie heck you have to go up against what's probably the best defensive front in the ACC and that's saying a lot I mean look Clemson was young last year they weren't nearly as good as they've been in the past that Pittsburgh defensive line is amazing so for Carolina to avoid that I think that's huge and and I I think you know the schedule as long as you don't have to come out of the gate playing at Florida State then home to Notre Dame you know, at Virginia Tech, then, you know, at Florida State, something like that. I think it's going to set up well for you to get yourself into some sort of rhythm and be able to, you know, really get some good momentum going throughout the season. Now, I think the, the, the biggest question that a lot of people have is, you know, do you think that Notre Dame is the biggest threat to North Carolina in terms of making the ACC championship game? And I just want, you know, your overall opinion of, of what you think about Notre Dame being able to compete for an ACC championship and basically be a member of the ACC, but only for a year before they get to go back and be an independent and pretty much do their own thing. About it, I mean, when I kind of first heard rumors that Notre Dame might be coming into it, I was like, okay, man, that's kind of cool. You know, Notre Dame in the conference, you know, that'd be interesting. But once I kind of got in, I got to thinking about it. You know, you could, you just, I mean, you really just said it. Carolina could, let's say Carolina runs the table, and, and, and then the only loss comes to, and the ACC comes to Notre Dame. You got, and, and that's the reason they miss out on maybe going to the ACC championship game. I and mean, how frustrated would you be from a Carolina fan perspective that a team that prides itself on being independent but also a school that is in the ACC and every other sport besides football is, is playing an ACC championship game but is the reason you're not playing an ACC championship game. I know that would be frustrating from a fan's perspective from a, from a player's perspective from a coach's perspective so I think it's I think it's cool in a lot of ways that we're going to see Notre Dame in a conference setting for once, even though it's, mm-hmm. it's a weird kind of COVID-19 realigned conference and schedule altogether. But for me, I, I, just, I don't like it in terms of the fact that Notre Dame, a team that's not technically in ACC in football, and that wants to remain independent as long as they can from what I can gather, it, it could be the reason that you're not playing an ACC championship game just because, you know, they had to be fitted into a schedule. I don't like that. I don't like that in that respect. I don't like the fact that that can kind of affect the team because, like I said, Notre Dame's not in the ACC when it comes to football, whatever way you want to put it. Right. So the fact that they could, you know, hurt your chances of playing an ACC title game just because you lose to them is is a little bit frustrating, I think. And I can understand why people could be really upset if that was to happen. But, yeah, I'm not really for it. Like I said, at first I thought it was an interesting prospect, but when I got to kind of thinking about it and kind of considering how – how that could affect programs just because of losses to a team that's not technically in the conference. I kind of made me against it because I just I don't I don't think that's right. I don't think that's fair. And you know the fact that you're going to be in the conference for a year and then go back to being independent. And you know, I mean, it could technically win the ACC this year. I mean, that's that's just weird. It just doesn't it just doesn't doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. I, I don't really understand the move from the ACC perspective. Uh, I said it on here when you know we reacted to the schedule. I understand trying to help them out. It makes sense because their schedule was pretty much decimated because of everything that's gone on with COVID. Um, but I don't get why you're going to let them play for an ACC championship game. That makes no sense to me. If you want to try to make the argument that it makes the ACC more you know, attractive in terms of trying to get into the college football playoff, I, I don't buy that because, look, 
if you win the ACC, if you pretty much if you beat out Clemson and lose either no games or one game, you are in the college football playoff. There is no denying that. I don't think that Notre Dame is going to really add a ton. I'm not. I mean, look. I think Notre Dame. If if I'm looking pure talent wise, and if I'm being honest, I think Notre Dame is definitely still ahead of Carolina, but. I don't think that Notre Dame is a team that is you look at and say, man, this team is top 10 good, this team is top 5 good. I don't see them being that big of uh, uh, you know a, a boost to the ACC. And from their perspective, I mean, it honestly just looks a little weak to kind of roll over to them, give them you know a chance to play for an ACC championship. I mean, they could have a trophy in their trophy case for a conference that they're not even potentially going to be a part of going forward. Right. You know, but I, I, I think, you know, it's it's going to be interesting because maybe this gives the ACC leverage to say, look, you know, now that you've played for a conference championship, you have to enter the conference full time going forward or else we're cutting all ties with you. Not really sure exactly how they're going to go about that. But um, unfortunately, the other big thing is that they seem like they might be the biggest threat to Carolina. That game that they play in Keenan Stadium, whenever that's going to be, that is probably going to be the biggest game in the ACC this year, maybe outside of their matchup uh, against Clemson, uh, the Fighting Irish, that is. So, uh, man, that is going to be uh, that is going to be something. That's uh, definitely going to be one of those games that we're going to be talking a lot about as we get towards the season. But, um, you know, it's it, one thing that Carolina has going for them, and one of the reasons why you still think that they could potentially make the ACC championship game is because, well, they've got one of the best gunslingers in the entire country in Sam Howell. You know, I think the biggest thing that we're all kind of wondering at this point, believe it or not, after that freshman year and with all that's coming back on offense, you've got this guy that, you know, is just such a polarizing figure in Sam Howell, not only here uh, in, you know, the ACC area, but also throughout the entire country. You know, there is a realistic shot that probably for the first time since Giovanni Bernard was on campus, you feel like you may have a Heisman Trophy contender. Do you think that if enough things were to go right, Sam Howell could be in New York or, you know, in the virtual Zoom meeting or whatever they're going to do for the Heisman this year uh, and potentially take home a Heisman Trophy? Uh, I'm not willing to rule it out, and I, I think one of the main reasons now that I, I think it is possible is because of Carolina's schedule. Like I said, I, I, there's nobody on this besides Notre Dame, maybe Florida State. There's nobody on the schedule that this Carolina team should fear. And I think the biggest problem with Sam Howell last year was, I mean, he was putting up great numbers. He was one of the best quarterbacks in college as a freshman. The biggest thing holding him back was the fact that Carolina finished seven six. You're never going to see mm-hmm. a Heisman Trophy finalist or a Heisman Trophy winner with, on, on a team that's, you know, one game above 500. I think that's the biggest thing to hurt Howell last year. Now, if Howell can come in and have a better season than he did during his freshman campaign, which is going to be tough because of how good he was last year, but you would expect – Sam Howell to get even better. The only thing that a lot of people talk about that sophomore slump kind of thing, I don't see that being a problem with Sam Howell. I think one of the reasons is because he didn't really, he didn't lose any of his weapons. He's got Deami Brown back. He's got Dallas Newsom, Bo Corrales, Javante Williams, Michael Carter. He's got all those guys back. He's got an experienced O-line in front of him now. You would expect Sam Howell to have equally as good of a year, if not a better year than he did last year in 2020. So I'm not willing to rule it out. I think really when you'll see you know, if, this, if we were talking a year from now, going into the 2021 season, I think I'd be even more confident and even more, um, yeah, I guess confident is the right word, of him maybe potentially being that Heisman Trophy finalist. I think it's still up in the air this year just because you never know how a guy like him who had such a successful freshman season is going to do during his sophomore campaign. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't expect him to, I don't expect the sophomore short from Sam Allen the slightest, but I'm not willing to rule it out. Anthony. I think that would be great for the program because the one thing that Carolina football has been missing over the past, maybe since Butch Davis was there, I hate to bring that name up, was that you, Carolina has guys that in the in North Carolina, in the ACC, that guys recognize. They have those players. Mm-hmm. But now they have players that some, you know, guy out in the middle of Colorado, he's probably hurt in Sam Howell. He's, he's mm-hmm. probably hurt in some kind of way of Chaz Surratt. That's where Carolina, that's the next step in Carolina. They, they need to be recognized. 
need to have guys that you can be in any part of the country and know about, like a Trevor Lawrence on the country. You know, people mm-hmm. around the country are going to know who Trevor Lawrence is. Yep. I think Sam Howell is that guy for Carolina now. If he can have another great year and he can put up the better numbers than he did last year, and Carolina can win, you know, 10, 11 games, maybe nine games, if they can, if they can really get to that next step and have a really good season record-wise, I think you'll see Sam Howell in the conversation. Now, if Carolina, if Sam Howell is a good season, a better season than he did last year, and Carolina somehow finishes, you know, 8-4, uh, 7-6 against something along those lines, then I, I don't think you'll, you'll see Sam Howell in the conversation. I think it's more about Carolina winning, and I think that's the biggest thing with him being even more recognized on the national stage is if he can have a great year and win games, more games than he did last year, I think there's no reason that Sam Howell should be in the conversation and at least be maybe not in that finalist group for the Heisman, but just in and around it. I think I think that's the next step for Sam Howell. I think 2021 especially is the year that if things go well for Carolina and the recruits keep coming in like they are and, and they keep winning and, and, and building that program up, I think 2021 is a season where you could see Sam Howell really, really be in that preseason Heisman conversation a little bit more than he is now, too. Well, one thing that could help him win a few more games this year is if that defense takes the next step. Ultimately, what do you think is involved in that next step for Carolina defensively? Because we saw some good things a year ago, but how do they take it another step forward this year under Jay Bateman and Tommy Thigpen? I, I think Carolina's. I think they're, they're making the right steps. I think the biggest thing about Carolina that, that should bode well and give a lot of fans confidence to the defense this year is they didn't really lose a lot of guys. Now they, the biggest, the biggest question mark for this team really, not even only your defensive unit for this team, is the defensive line group. Mm-hmm. Carolina lost, you know, with Sturbridge and Crawford leaving last year. I mean, make no mistakes about it. And even out likes Alvin Taylor, those were big losses for Carolina. And Carolina. Besides those guys, you got a Jaleel Taylor, you got a Tamari Fox, you got a Tamon Fox, you got guys like that. You got a, you know, even a Ray Mahasa. You got guys that can step in and you would think can play some big minutes, but they're still a little bit unproven. They still haven't proven that they can start week in and week out and make an impact like, like I said, like a Crawford or like a Sturbridge could. You know, guys that are, you know, you would think Sturbridge would be able to stay in the NFL for a while, and you think Crawford would have a legit shot at making a roster. They got it. They get somebody's got to step up on that D line. I think that's the biggest thing. Now, if somebody can step up on that D line, if Jaleel Taylor can take that next step, if Ray Mahasa can take that next step, and if, if some of these freshmen coming in can come in and play some significant minutes and provide um, a significant impact for Carolina down there, uh, there's no reason that Carolina's defense shouldn't take that next step and be a really, really good unit this year because you got Chester Rat back, you've got Jeremiah Kimball back. I mean, Carolina's secondary, and you'll know it. I tweeted this out a couple days yep. ago. Is absolutely loaded with talent, and I don't know how. It's a great dilemma to have, but I don't know how. If you're Jay Bateman, Jay Bly, Tommy Bateman, how you get all these guys on the field because there's just so much talent down there. There's there's talent that we haven't even seen yet. The likes of Colin McMichael, Bryce Watts, Tony Grimes, Cameron Roseman, Sinclair. Not to mention, I mean, John didn't really lose anybody back there besides like a Miles Dorn. That you know, you really sit back and say, dang, how are they going to replace him? So. I think there's no reason to believe that if Carolina can get some guys to step up and play better and, and, and make an impact down low with that defensive line position, that Carolina should, shouldn't really be able to take that next step as a defensive line. I think that's the only question mark surrounding this team because linebacker is good. Safety and cornerback are absolutely loaded. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I think the D-line just needs to be figured out. And unfortunately, you're only really as good as your D-line when it comes to being a defense. If you can't get pressure on the quarterback, it doesn't matter how good your secondary is. You're going to get torched. So I think that's the biggest question mark for Carolina. But uh, it's a good problem to have, like I said. I think if you're Jay Baben and Tommy Thick, then you're a lot more confident in this unit going into this year than you were the last because you know the guys. You know what they can do. You, you have that all-star caliber quality in Chas Surratt, and, and you've got a loaded secondary. So if some guys can step up on the D-line, there's no reason to believe that, that Carolina's defense can take that next step and be a really, really good unit this year because there's a lot, a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Well, you mentioned him there for just a second ago. One of the guys that's going to be competing for time in that secondary at cornerback is the true freshman Tony Grimes. Man, he is extremely talented. I watched his film. Um, Reminds me a lot of Marlon Humphrey from Alabama, which should excite a lot of people. 
But I think the biggest question that everybody has with him is with him reclassifying, coming in a year early, you know, what should we expect from him? I think, you know, as you talked about also, the other factor that people have to look at is that he is not only going to have to navigate the fact that he's coming in a year early, he's going to be younger than anybody that's really been on the team in recent memory for me since I can remember. I mean, he's only 17 years old. He's got to get, you know, settled into the college lifestyle and everything pretty quickly. And then when he goes to practice, your reward is going up against what is probably right now the deepest secondary in the ACC. So, uh, you know, do you think that there's a chance that he's going to be able to have, you know, a pretty decent impact? Or is it just that there's so much here and, and there's, you know, with him having to get settled, he might have to wait a little bit? I think that's one of the most interesting things and one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing how it shapes out the most is, is Tony Graham's situation because first and foremost, like you mentioned, he's an elite cornerback. I was up in Virginia Beach a couple weeks ago at a um, football camp for a ton of prospects in the area and Tony Grimes was there. We got an interview with him. It was a couple of days before he committed actually to Carolina. I think it was the week before and he didn't participate in the camp but one of the things that stood out about his game um, not only be, not only his size, I mean, you look at him, he's got some of the longest arms I've ever seen at cornerback. He is, he is so lengthy, and he, he's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's still, you know, above that six-foot mark. So he's got a little bit of height on him. He almost looks like a safety, but with his arm length and then the way he can guard people and the way and his speed and quickness, I think he's got all the tools to be an elite cornerback. But one of the, the biggest thing that also stood out about me was his leadership. I mean, he was a guy that wasn't participating in any of the action at that camp, but he was a guy that was actively helping out the younger guys. He was a guy that was not bashing guys. He wasn't a guy that was cocky and standing in the corner and not talking to anybody. He was a guy that was getting in the mix. He was just one of the normal guys. If you were went out to that camp, you never would have thought, besides seeing him play and seeing his, his, his body size and how he was built, that he was a five-star cornerback. He wasn't you know, one of those guys that was walking around with a big head. He was just one of the guys and, and, and a guy that was willing and, and, and actively looking and seeking to help out guys and these guys and, and help them out and, and just be a coach out there. So that was a big thing that really stood out about me that you really can't get from watching him on film is just how good of a teammate and how good of a leader I think he's ultimately going to be for Carolina on the defensive side of the ball. Now, like you mentioned, where does he fit in this year? Andy, I, I don't know. I mean, and, and, and I think the biggest reason I say that is because Storm Duck stepped up last year, had yep. a great year, stepped up and proved that he, he gets, he's a reliable cornerback. But you've also got you got Trey Morrison returning to the fold. Now, are we going to see him playing more at nickel? I think we might. But you've also got Patrice A who missed 90% of the season last year. There's no way he's not coming in at least expecting to start. I think where it gets a little bit shaky. Now, if you, if you only had those two guys, let's say you only had Trey Morrison, um, Patrice Renee and, and the likes of Storm Duck. If you just had those three guys kind of buying it out for the, so they start quarterback positions, I think you're feeling a little bit better about that. And I think you're definitely saying, okay, you know, Tony Grimes definitely has a spot and he's going to play significant minutes. Where it gets weird and where it gets a little confusing is you've also got the likes of Kyle McMichael who played over 100 snaps at Clemson. Mm-hmm. We talked to Dre Bly as a freshman. We talked to Dre Bly about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. And he said that he is one of the strongest, if not the strongest guys on the team. He even went out in his way to say that he was built like Herschel Walker, which I thought was a huge compliment from a guy like Dre Bly, who's played in the NFL, won a Super Bowl, All-American in college. For him to come out and say something about a guy like that who hasn't played a snap in Carolina yet, says a lot. So I don't know how you bring in a guy like Kyler McMichael and expect him not to play. Yep. So I think that you've got four corners in the rotation right there that – you would expect have to see the field in some sort of way and deserve to see the field in some sort of way. Now, like I said, I think if you see Carolina move a Trey Morrison to a nickel kind of position, this playing kind of that hybrid, you can kind of do a few different things across the line because I think that's ultimately where Jay Bateman wants to see that position. I don't think he wants a guy like Dominique Ross playing that position. I think he wants somebody who's a little bit more mobile, a little bit more, um, that can cover a little bit more in space playing there, a lot more snaps. And you want a guy like Dominique Ross who's just a certified linebacker playing there. And then granted, Dominique Ross did a good job last year. It's not not on him, but... I think if you see Trey Morrison make that move and play a little bit more there, then it definitely opens up the way um, for the likes of, of a Tony Grimes to come in and play. Because mm-hmm. for me, I don't know how a guy like Grimes reclassifies like he did. I know it had a lot to do with the fact that you know, a lot of uncertainty about Virginia high school sports right now, and, and it's a smart move by him all around. But I don't just—I'm not so sure that a guy like Tony Grimes, number one corner in the nation, number one, you know, one of the 
top players in the country, five-star guy that for the Eels, how he doesn't come in and play some sort of ball. I just, nah, I'm not 100% sure how he fits in, but like I said, I mean, if you're Dre Bly, if you're Jay Bateman, that's a great problem to have, and it's, it's, it is a complete 360-degree turn from what we saw last year, because, I mean, we, you saw it, Andy, there was times last year where Carolina, because of injuries and because of um, guys being out, yeah. they didn't even, they barely had enough guys to play at that cornerback position, so you had to see the likes of Storm Gut go in there and be, and be successful, so... Yeah, I think, to answer your question, I, I, I think it's hard for Trendy Grounds not to see the field, but it's a great problem to have when you consider the fact that we've been having a conversation about a five-star cornerback coming into Carolina, and we're asking, is he even going to play this year? I mean, that's just, that's right. just a great conversation to have, and, and, and one we wouldn't have expected to ever have had, you know, two, three years ago in Sonora. So, yeah, I mean, I hope he does. I would love to see him play. I think he's got all the tangible, all the tangibles and all the, all the, um, the potential to come in and play a lot this season, but we'll just have to see how things shake out just because of how deep Carolina is in that position right now. Yeah, I think, you know, you talked about Trey Morrison moving back to nickel. I think that's probably the best spot for him because we saw him his freshman year. Uh, I thought he looked so much better out of the nickel than he did on the outside. He was unbelievable with that nickel that freshman year. And I think from what we've gathered from Jay Bateman and talking to him, I think that's ultimately what he wants to do with him. Right. And I think with the abundance of talent at that cornerback position, I think you'll see him play a lot more snaps there because you don't have to worry about kind of moving him there and and being like, okay, well, who do we put him to replace him? Carolina's got plenty of guys that can step up and do that role. Yeah, I, I mean, and then, you know, when you talk about the guys on the outside, I mean, Patrice Renee coming back, as you mentioned. Uh-huh. Um, of course, uh, Storm Duck, I thought, was sensational last year. Uh, really, in my opinion, I think overachieved a little bit because uh, we were kind of questioning whether, you know, he was actually going to, you know, be able to come in and have a, a huge impact early on uh, after we saw him, of course, you know, sort of jump out, have a really good spring game. But I think uh, at that time, we were, we were cautioning people People, okay, let's take a step back. He's still a true freshman. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, he had to step up because there was just not a lot of depth there a year ago. Uh, there was a ton of things that just broke the wrong way for Carolina in that secondary. And uh, I think this year, man, there's even if that was to happen again, which we hope it doesn't end up happening, but it's inevitable that we're going to see injuries around this team, especially because they've been off for so long. They haven't been able to be in the weight room and, and, and kind of train the right way that's just going to be something we're going to see around the country I think that this secondary is just loaded beyond belief and Tony Grimes is one of those guys that's going to help Carolina this year Um, I'm going to be interested to see I think that's the biggest thing that people have to realize though is that if he doesn't play a lot this year that doesn't mean that he's a bust that doesn't mean that you know there's reason to be concerned about him going forward he's coming in reclassifying a year early and this is the thing you know we, we saw it the guy that I think you know people will probably liken it to if they're big time college football fans and trying to think recently is when JT Daniels reclassified went and played at USC he was their starting quarterback but that's quarterback that's different you win the starting job there you're going to play the entire game unless you get injured that's just how that position works at cornerback, let's say he even finds a way to win the starting job. He won't always be out there because there's so much talent behind him that they're going to be able to do something that they haven't been able to do really since Butch Davis was on campus, which is keep guys fresh because we've heard it so often. We used to hear it from Larry Fedora a lot, and then it, we're hearing it from Mac Brown, and he's executing it. You want the guys behind your starters to be just as good as your starters. So when you have to pull those guys off the field, you're not seeing a drop-off in production. And that secondary, like you said, that's going to be true this year. That group is loaded beyond belief. I think, you know, again, you look around the rest of the conference. I'm not, you know, I don't follow everybody else as in-depth as I follow Carolina because, well, frankly, I don't have the time to do that because keeping up with Carolina is enough. But I would say it's got to be either first or second in terms of depth. I know that it's it maybe it's not as proven as some of the other ones. There's still some question marks about some guys. We're, we're really going off a lot of upside. This this secondary is absolutely loaded. So yeah, it, um, is, it is. And let me just add something real quick. Yeah, you made a good point with with the amount of depth that Carolina has. One of the things they don't have to do with Grimes this year that I think is a blessing for him, and I think it's a blessing for the program is they don't just have to throw him into the fire and say, "Well, man, you're a five star corner. You got to come in and start. You got to you got to make an impact on this team." Or, or we're you know we're 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 screwed on the defensive side of the ball. You can bet him in. You can 
can slowly bed them in. You can put them in in certain instances. You can. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to just throw them into the wolves and say, hey, you got to play, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 snaps a game. Exactly. He can come in, take some minutes with some guys, and if he does that starting spot, like you said, he's got guys that can replace him. So he's not going to be relied on um, as a freshman to just come in and be the guy. And I think that's going to be great for Carolina. And like you said, something we haven't seen for, for 10 years really on the Carolina, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Well, we talked about a position that, or a position group at least, that seems pretty solid, seems uh, you know like it could be one of the best in the ACC. But there are going to be some position group battles this year in camp. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you got the battle going on at left tackle because, of course, uh, Charlie Heck moved on to the NFL. You've got uh, some you know battles on the defensive line that I think are interesting. Heading into fall camp, which one do you look at and say it's the most interesting in your mind? That's a good question, man. I think the, I think you mentioned with, with the offensive line, but somebody's got to come in and, and replace Charlie Heck. Now, I think there's some candidates for it. I think guys are going to have to step up just because of how good Charlie Heck was last year, and that left tackle position is huge. I mean, yeah, that's just that's the most important position on that line. Consider, you know, that's Sam Howell's backside. He's got to have somebody there that can mm-hmm. protect him. So, who's going to step in and win that? It'll be interesting to see. I think there's some good candidates down there, and I think. Um, there's a plenty of guys, and I think, at least I think the coaching staff was confident going down there. But I, I don't think for me that's the, the most interesting one I'm looking for. I think on the D line, that's really what I'm interested to see on who can step up down there because you think, of, like I said, I think Carolina's got a lot of experience at that O line, and, and even if you know a, a, a fresh young guys to come in and play that left tackle, I think they got enough experience around them where it'll be a little bit easier to transition. Now, mm-hmm. you look at the defensive line. You don't have a lot of experience down there that have played a lot of minutes. And I think the, the most interesting thing I'm looking at is between the likes of Ray Bahasic and Jaleel Taylor, who can step up down there and be the guy? Because you think about Bahasic last year, he came in, he played well towards the end of the season at least. He had an, uh, a shoulder injury that we didn't even learn about to the end of the year that he'd been battling really since Duco didn't allow it. Basically, he wasn't able to really lift weights with the team at all last year until the end of the year. So, you know, he, you would expect him to be a lot stronger this season, um, and you would expect him to be even better. But, you know, Jaleel Taylor came in and played a lot of minutes. He's the guy that was taken under Aaron Crawford's wing and that it was kind of Aaron Crawford kind of played the big brother to him in a lot of ways, and he's talked about that a lot. So, I mean, he's got a, he, he's learned from one of the best in the in the game at that in terms of a run stopper and in terms of a, you know, a lineman down there in the trenches. So, I think between those guys and between the freshmen coming in, somebody has to step up and be a consistent run stopper and a guy that can get pressure on the quarterback in that position. Because, I mean, you got Tamari Fox, you got Tamari Fox, you got guys kind of on those ends that I think can come in and do some nice things. But there's just not a lot of depth right now in that defensive line position, and somebody is going to have to step up down there and be the guy. And at this point, I'm just, I'm not exactly sure who that's going to be. And it's going to be interesting to see because, like I said, John can have the greatest secondary in the world, but if they don't have anybody who can get pressure on a quarterback in the defensive line, it doesn't matter. They're going to get picked apart whether they like it or not. So I'm interested to see who steps up down there at that defensive line position, but I think that's the group and and that's the position I'm really paying attention to the hardest and trying to see how that shakes out. And I think just because it's so important to the team and it's so important to that defensive line, the defensive unit being as good as a lot of people would expect them to be. I mean, if, just think if, if this was, if Carolina had depth in the secondary that they did last this year, if they had that last year, if they had the likes of Chasrat and Gimmel mm-hmm. being as good as they are, if they had that last year, but they had Sturbridge and Crawford still back, I mean, this Carolina defense would have to be considered one of the best in the country, but I think because of that defensive line, there's just a lot of question marks going into to fall camp on who's going to step up and be the guy down there, and we're just going to have to wait and see how things play out. I think there's some candidates, and I think with the freshmen and right. the amount of talent they're bringing on the D-line and the freshman unit this year, I think there's a lot of reasons to be positive, but until the lights come on, until the first snap is taken, until we see who can be a gamer and who can step up and make a difference in the game when it matters most, I think that's going to be the most you know interesting position battle and really the most interesting um, unit to watch progress the season because somebody like I said is going to have to step up there and be the guy or it could be a long season for the Carolina defense. Well the staff seems pretty confident that they've got some guys that they believe can step up there so I guess we just have to wait and find out. Of course as I mentioned fall camp starting tomorrow 
Thursday, August 6th. Carolina gets into it, uh, hoping to prepare for a 2020 season that, as of right now, is expected to begin sometime between the week of uh, September 7th and September 12th. Of course, we'll keep you updated on everything as we go forward when they get that schedule in place. But, hey, man, uh, you're one of the best, Jacob. I mean, I tell you what, man, you are uh, right there, one of the rising stars in this industry, man, and it's always great having you on. I mean, look, you know, we don't have any other guests that come on here for almost an hour. It just doesn't happen because, well, frankly, our guests uh, maybe just aren't as cool as you, man. I mean, I think that might just be what <laughs> yeah. it is. But, uh, hey, hey so great. That, I, I appreciate you sending that, especially with the, with the with the amount of hate I was showing to hockey last night. I thought I didn't even know if I'd be invited on tonight. So I appreciate you giving me that compliment. And like I said, I've been right. following you guys for a long time. In my opinion, one of the best podcasts about Carolina football and basketball and the business. So you guys keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, I'm always a pleasure to come on and, and talk Carolina football as long as you need. So I really appreciate you having me back on here, man. And, and I'm excited to see how the season plays out. I know you'll be following it just as hard right. as anybody else. So, so, yeah, man, always a pleasure. Yeah, man. Hey, uh, you do great work over there at Tar Heel Illustrated, you guys. Ready for another big season. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on everything over there as well. Um, but for now, man, take care. We'll have you on again uh, during the season to talk a little bit of Tar Heel football. Uh, hopefully they end up getting it underway in the fall. But if not, we'll talk to you sometime here in the near future. All right, buddy? Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it, man. All right. All right, so Jacob Turner of Tar Heel Illustrated. Of course, you guys can check him out on Twitter at uh, Jacob Turner THI. Make sure that you guys go and uh, check out all the stuff that he's doing uh, over there for Tar Heel Illustrated. He does a fantastic job. We always love having him on. Um, but uh, yeah, as we mentioned, uh, fall camp is right around the corner. We've got some great articles that are helping you guys preview uh, what to expect in fall camp. Of course, we've got the best position battles. Uh, just you know, a couple of the ones that we talked about there. Um, the cornerback position that's loaded. We talk about that battle. We talk about the defensive line battles. Both nose tackle and defensive end are mentioned in there. Um, and then, of course, we talk about some of the other ones. We talk about that left tackle battle as well. Uh, so make sure you guys go and check that out. We'll have breakout stars coming out uh, here uh, sometime later on today, so make sure that you keep an eye out for that. Uh, that one should be probably a later article uh, sometime later tonight because of everything uh, that we got going on with work during the day, but we'll make sure that we have that out to you guys and then of course we'll have your top headlines uh, that'll come out tomorrow so that you guys can get prepared for uh, the first day of fall camp so I uh, want to thank Jacob Turner for stopping by with us make sure that you guys rate review and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes and you can help us move up the rankings again moving up the rankings helps the people that haven't quite found the podcast just yet find the podcast we want people that have not been able to join the Heel Tough Blog podcast family yet and become a part of this to become a part of it as soon as possible and you guys can do that by helping us move up those rankings so we greatly appreciate that if you subscribe make sure that you're locked in for a season that uh, is one of the most exciting in recent memory for Tar Heel football we'll be covering it throughout we'll have tons of guests on during the season as well so make sure that you stick with us for all of that but for now, I want to thank you guys once again for listening to this edition of the podcast. And as always, go Tar Heels!